What am I saying? You are saying words. Welcome to Stargazing, a Stargate Gazing podcast. I'm your host, Kathy. And I'm your other host, Mary. And each week we discuss an episode of Stargate beginning with Stargate SG-1. Hello. <laughs> Hello. How's it going? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing all right. What a lovely greeting that was. Ah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. No problem. <laughs> It's going okay. I got a flu shot today. <gasps> Yay! They're available? Well, they, for you, they're They available. are in my place. I, we got an email yesterday and nice. a list of, like, the clinics that are available. And I had to pick up a prescription at the same place where they were giving them out anyway. So I made oh, an nice. appointment and did them both. So, good times. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 All right, cool. Well, now that I know that they're out and about... I'm going to take a look and see if I could find one for myself. Huzzah. Because I love vaccines. Vaccines are great. I think I will take all the vaccines I can get. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is the earliest I've ever gotten a flu shot. I think I usually hit October and sometimes even November. Yeah, it is pretty early. There's often a flu shot clinic at the various schools that I've worked at or else there was one year where I like had my annual physical in September and they're like, you want a flu shot while you're here? And I was like, oh, cool. All right. That means I'll cancel the appointment I have for October because it's September and I might as well get it now. Hell yeah. Yeah. I didn't, when I went to go look at the list, I was like, oh, they started today. (laughs) I'm like, okay, well, 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 might as well knock it out. Then I don't have to think about it again. Yeah, exactly. But then you'll have to think about getting your booster for. Oh yes. January or whatever. Uh, yeah, I also actually, I need to schedule an appointment as well to get a new Tdap because I've hit my 10 years on that. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Yeah. How are you? I'm annoyed today. Why? So when we moved into this apartment, we were really excited. We wanted to live on the first floor because I have a treadmill. I didn't want to bother anybody. But there were no first floor apartments available. So we thought that the next best thing was to get the apartment that is above the demo unit because that way there's nobody living below us and there's nobody living above us either where we happen to be here. And so I've been using my treadmill several days a week since we moved here many months ago. And all of a sudden I got a text message message on Saturday while I was on the treadmill, that somebody was complaining about all of the noise coming from our apartment and asking if we have a treadmill because it was shaking the entire building, which is not physically possible given the amount of cushioning I've put under that thing and given the fact that I am not a heel striker or a foot slapper uh, and I do not weigh enough to be able to (laughs) shake the entire building. That's really weird. So, yeah. um, I was like, yeah, I have a treadmill, but I'm also, and like, I've been using it for forever. And have not had a complaint. The only thing I'm doing differently is I'm wearing a weight vest. So I took the weight vest off. And then I didn't hear anything else about it until today. And they're like, well, we need to report this to the manager. And then we might need to do something. about. I'll let you know if there's anything further we need to do. And I was like, well, wait a minute. I'm not violating my lease. There's nothing in the lease that says I'm not allowed to have a treadmill. I've got tons of cushioning. It's far away from any of the common walls. Yeah. There's nobody above us. There's nobody below us. I only use it during respectable hours that are well within the, the um, you know, well f- far away from the quiet hours. So I'm like, what it, you know, 
what what action is there really to take? I'm not actually yeah. violating my lease. And she's like, well, you're disturbing your neighbor's enjoyment of their apartments. And I'm like, well, I'm not getting rid of my treadmill. I am perfectly happy to work with anybody who might be complaining to try to figure out a time that will be accommodating to both of our schedules when maybe they're at work or something where it's not going to be inconvenient for them for me to be on the treadmill. But I'm not getting rid of my treadmill, especially not when I've been here as long as I have, and this is the first time anyone's complaining about it. Yeah. You really don't have it near any other apartment. I know. Right. I've been there. Yeah, yeah, I know. You've seen the room that it's in, and it's not. Like, we're going to move it to the bedroom, so it'll be, like, one wall farther away from the common hallway, but it's already as far away from the apartment next door as it possibly can be. Yeah. And, yeah, so it was weird. And, like, the people next door, we've had the same neighbors the entire time we've been here, so... So I don't know, but it's annoying. And that was the last conversation or contact I had with them. So she never responded back to that message about me saying like, we're being as accommodating as possible. Like when they show the demo unit, even I get off the treadmill so that I'm not disturbing their showing. I am trying yeah. to be as considerate as possible, but I need my treadmill to keep my sanity. And you don't know <laughs> which neighbor I'd... it was? Nope. No idea. That's annoying. Yeah. And as you know, I would rather be running outside anyway, but um, when it's like crazy hot or raining or snowing or whatever that's when i'm inside using my treadmill it's crazy Otherwise, hot and raining rather... all the time right now right. lately you know, yeah this year it's been like all the time so i've been using this treadmill way more than i would normally use a treadmill like generally i go months at a time without using it but this year i have used it like at least two to four times a week but again always in the middle of the day in the afternoon hardly ever on the weekends and this has been a very long diatribe but that's my grumpiness that's why i'm grumpy today you, that warrants grumpiness mm-hmm and this only happened like kind of shortly before <laughs> before we got on here to record. And I still got on there and uh, maybe maybe people listening will think that I'm being a jerk, but I still got on it and used it today anyway because I needed my freaking 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's gross out. Mm-hmm. Again. Yeah. I took the dogs out and I was like, well, maybe I'll just do it outside, even though it's mid-afternoon. I don't like running in the, the sun because I like to protect my delicate skin. <laughs> I was like, maybe I'll just go and suck it up and run outside anyway. But when I was out there with the dogs, it was just disgusting. So so disgusting. Yeah. I don't have very high heat tolerance. No, me either. Yeah. I get migraines if I run out in the heat. I just wish I were dead. <laughs> and also that. Probably everyone around me too, but not in like a crazy way. And maybe we should cut that out. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <sighs> That's my fun story for the day. Well, and it's been like an extra busy week this week, too. So like I was already feeling a little stressed because of all the work I've been doing all week and all the work I still have to do. And like that was just like the worst timing for that, too, because I was like in the middle of grading stuff. Ah, I hate grading so much. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know my solution. So, yeah. Fire. <laughs> that wouldn't just give everyone or guillotines <laughs> <laughs> or just yes give everyone a's that's true or not f's really i mean not <laughs> neither of those work very well when my students are depending on their grade in this class to determine whether or not they will get into the nursing program what if you assign letter grades at random so it's not only an a or an f it could be all of them Oh, well, then expect some really shitty nursing students or <laughs> sh shitty nurses to be coming out of our nursing program then. <laughs> Thanks to my inept teaching of ANP1. I guess you can be considerate of others, Mary, but <laughs> I, I don't see... to be considerate of their future patients. <laughs> I don't see why you should have to. I mean, 
you can't even be considerate on your treadmill. Just give everyone Fs. It's true. Yeah. Then they won't become nurses. If I can't be considerate of the neighbors, then why am I bothering to worry about anyone's hypothetical yeah. future patients? If you fail them all, they won't become nurses. This is true, but maybe some of them deserve to be nurses, though. Many of them are very good students and nice people. <laughs> they should have thought of that before they turned in their work. <laughs> but if they didn't turn in their work, they also would have gotten an F. Sucks to be them. <laughs> Life's hard. Life is hard. You don't always get to pick your letter grade. This is Well, this is true. They earn their letter grades. <laughs> They pick them by doing the work. They pick them by either doing the work or not doing the work and picking me as their shitty instructor. (laughs) (laughs) Who has taken on the either A or F only philosophy. All or nothing. That's how it goes. Yep. It's a crapshoot. You either get an A or an F in my class. (laughs) And then uh, next semester, I get like pulled into the department chair's office. No, Mary, (laughs) we've noticed something strange with your grading. I don't understand what happened. Everyone is just really great or terrible. Yeah. That's uh, yeah, yeah. There was like nothing in between. Just just really awful, awful people that knew nothing or amazing. Yeah, that's not on you. You're just the teacher. Yeah. You're not there to show people how to do things or <laughs> yes, <I> impart <laughs> knowledge, and then they're not supposed to then just like regurgitate it back and show they understand what you're saying. No, that's not your job. Your job is to... It's literally my job. <laughs> your job is to hand down judgment from on high. And it doesn't have to be fair. It's yes. completely arbitrary. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's not in the written job description that they gave me, but now I'm going to have to go back and check I just to make sure. I think it's in the unwritten rules, you know, like... <laughs> Okay. The culture of the community, you know, you pick it up from your colleagues. <laughs> I never see my colleagues, though, because I'm an adjunct and I teach at night and they're all gone by then. That's why you... And also, I don't go to campus anymore for this job, so... That's why it's taken so long to cotton on to this mm. for you. So, But now you can... That's true, you're right. You can guilt-free just fail them all or give it's them true. A's. It's true. But I'm told that... Uh, I'm told that I'm like that the instructor people want to have classes with because I'm nice well, that, and less boring than others. That would probably change. That might ruin my record. <laughs> but if you don't teach anymore, then you won't have to grade papers. There's the other. Uh... There is also that, but I like <laughs> teaching and also that's my income. <laughs> Meh. You've got a husband. I do. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I don't really want to be relying completely on him for my financial well-being, though. I mean, anybody who is a house spouse, you know, that's fine. But I don't judge other people for that. It's just not what I want for me. (laughs) Fine. I try to offer you all these solutions, but you just spit in my face. Uh, Yeah, literally spit in your face via the microphone. Podcast over. Oh, no! No! See? Arbitrary! <laughs> but I don't, I don't want the podcast to be alone. We don't always get what we sad. want. <laughs> like an A grade. Suddenly so mean. <laughs>
I don't know what's wrong with me today. Are you mirror universe, Kathy? That would explain a lot. I did notice I have a goatee today. I was about to ask if you had a mustache, but yeah, okay. Oh, that explains so much. Where's my Kathy? No, no. Bring her back. Maybe tomorrow. I hope so. I am willing to talk about this episode, though. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. That's good. You'll probably hate it, though, because you're evil. I do. I hate it. I hate it already. (laughs) I I also didn't watch it. I didn't watch it, and I hate it. How can you hate it if you didn't watch it? Uh, because I can? Because I'm evil? (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. Well, bring nice Kathy back by Friday when we're supposed to hang out and celebrate a certain birthday. (gasps) Somebody's having a birthday. What? birthday. Oh, my God. It's your birthday! Anyway. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. (laughs) It's quite the extra long opening for us here. What are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 2, Episode 17, Holiday. Holiday. Also, I have to mention that I like your name, which is Who Has Two Thumbs and Got a Flu Shot Today. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) That is a fantastic name. And also, my drinks today are Closer by the Mile, and I also have a toasted rice matcha. Ooh. Yeah. I have Coke Zero. And a bit of wine, but not together. But I don't judge you (laughs) if you combine those things. One time, I I didn't know that was a thing. And then I went to a wedding and asked for two separate drinks called wine and Diet Coke. (laughs) And the bartender poured them together. I was horrified. But then I learned that Coke and red wine go together by my friends who had attended college like normal people and did things like drink those things. And since then, I have tasted it. It's not terrible. So no judgment if you want to combine those things. I also tasted it at Kathy's prodding, and I hated it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I like wine. I like Diet Coke. But together, no, thank you. They're pretty good. It's better with Coke Zero (laughs) or regular Coke. But Okay. I think I was using Diet Coke when I tried it. I think so. Maybe I'll give it another shot at some point. Uh, I can bring a can of Coke Zero and pick up some wine for our hangs if you want. I like wine. No, I think I'd rather just drink the wine and not ruin it. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> another tangent. The episode starts in a weird black room. The camera is kind of panning up and over like it's up towards the ceiling. We can hear the gate dialing in, but we don't really see the gate. In the middle of the room, there's a DHD in the center, and then... It's surrounded by these glowing cylinders, and the glowing cylinders are each surrounded by these long red gauzy curtains hanging down from the ceiling. And then there's also like some weird metalwork that kind of looks like a spider web. It was a pretty effect, but hard to explain. Yeah. Hopefully that's a good enough job. It was way better than I was going to do, where I was like, oh, <laughs> look, there were some curtains, maybe? They might the have curtains. been sheer. <laughs> yes, the curtains. <laughs> <laughs> So we see this weird room light up as the gate opens and SG-1 comes through the gate looking a bit surprised by this weird room that they are seeing. Why are they surprised? Didn't they send a melp through? Right? I was thinking the same thing. (laughs) Also, another tangent, uh, talking about this weird room reminds me of the time that we went to 
eat at Iron Hill and read the review that says they have weird rules <laughs> at that brewery slash restaurant that we've been to many times and still can't figure out what those supposed weird rules were that the person was talking about. Yeah, we never came across those weird rules. Nope. And yet we still always talk about weird rules never says the word weird. <laughs> anyway, back to the story. Sam asks Tilk if the various devices that are sitting on those glowy cylinders, which are apparently tables, are gold tech of any sort, but Tilk isn't familiar with them. Daniel takes a look at a back room covered in curtains, another curtain, curtains, and wonders what's in there. And a voice answers, I'm what's in there. <laughs> a little disturbing. Yeah. An elderly gentleman comes out and says he means them no harm. And Tilk approaches and recognizes this guy as Michello. Michello asks, do I know you? And Tilk says no, but apparently this guy is very well known. Tilk has heard of him through stories and images throughout his entire life. Tilk tells SG-1 that Michello is a fugitive from the system lords, and he was supposed to hunt this guy down when he was still the first prime of Apophis for developing tech that would oppose the Gwold. Apparently he was captured and tortured and marked to become a Gwold host so that his knowledge could be acquired by the Gwold. But he managed to kill a bunch of Jaffa and escape. <laughs> Jack's like, that guy? <laughs> Michelle says, nope, that was not me. But Daniel promises that it's okay because they're not gold. So Michello asks, who are we then? And he says that he's Daniel Jackson from Earth. And Michello, who's not really quite on his A-game, says, that's right, I am Daniel Jackson from the planet Earth. Nice to meet you. <laughs> so they ask about the inventions and whether or not these are things that would help fight the gold. And Michello says, yes. We are not Jaffa. I will show them to you. Addressing them as we are not Jaffa. Weird scene. This whole, this <laughs> yeah. whole episode is a weird episode. <laughs> so Michello brings them over to one particularly large device. It's got handlebars on it, like the, like big wheels, like the, like the three-wheel, big wheel kind of handlebars <laughs> on each side, though, and they're black. And they both touch it, and Michello immediately falls over. Sam checks his pulse, and it's there but faint, so Jack says they're going to take the guy back to base with him, and they want to get Daniel checked out as well, since he was also zapped by this thing. And then we get credits. Woo! Woo! Yeah. Way to set a scene. Who doesn't love credits? I love credits. Credits, credits, credits. Credits, credits, credits. Give me all the credits. Back on Earth... Dr. Fraser has checked out Daniel and says he seems fine. His numbers are all normal. Daniel says, I feel fine. And Fraser says that he seems like he might be a little out of it and wonders if something's bothering him. And Daniel replies <laughs> that, no, he's just exhausted. And here when he's talking to her, he's a little stiff in his speech and is sort of rocking mm -hmm. side to side as he talks, which is... Yeah, well, definitely not acting his normal Daniel yeah. self. Uh, Fraser does say that being tired is not unusual for a high voltage electric shock. 
<laughs> so I, how, how high voltage is this i would like to know i don't know they don't know they left it they there seem, they, yeah <laughs> that's true and it didn't seem like i mean like yeah the the other guy got knocked out but it didn't really seem like yeah that big of a deal no it didn't but she like a high voltage i would expect like you know your muscles can like seize and yeah stuff like that so anyway well, anyway she asks him what the machine was supposed to do and daniel shakes his head that he does not know and fraser says well let me know if you're still feeling off in a couple days and don't drive and daniel's like okay and he kind of looks at michello in the bed asking how michello is and fraser says he's not good he's got severe scar tissue and she thinks he's was burned or electrocuted and she's guessing he because he was tortured Daniel's like he's not gonna live much longer and Fraser's like no no he's not that's unfortunate yes in the meeting room Hammond and SG three quarters are starting their debriefing without Daniel Sam picks up a piece of equipment from the planet and says it has icons and if you touch them it brings up information oh my god <gasps> wow <laughs> For the late 90s, kids, this would have been high tech. <laughs> but by today's standard, it looks like a super outdated tablet that doesn't even have color and is rather pixelated. Yeah, it reminded me of my first iPod. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, just the, sorry, just the screen. That's all. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the screen looked a little bit like that. Or even kind of like the old, like the first generation Game Boy. Oh, yeah, those not, yeah. Those weren't even touch screens, but yeah. <laughs> So she pulls up some schematic diagrams and Hammond asks if she knows what it is, but she can't read the language and Tilk says he doesn't recognize the symbols either. Daniel finally comes in and joins them and is looking a little bit more demure than usual, like his head's down and he's kind of walking a little bit slowly. He apologizes. Hammond asks how he is and he again states that he is tired. Sam hands him the device that they were looking at, but Daniel doesn't recognize the symbols on it either. And Hammond just says, has the very helpful advice of, well, keep trying. You're all dismissed. <laughs> and then Daniel tells Hammond that Dr. Frazier told him to go home. So Hammond says, well, take, take the day, a whole day, <laughs> whopping day off. So generous. Mm -hmm. Daniel gets a ride from presumably someone from the SGC to an apartment building. Not likely Lyft or Uber though, yes, in those days. No. <laughs> no definitely and not marked as a cab. No. And he stands outside an apartment building and kind of looks around a bit. And then he sees a blonde lady exit the building. So like a giant creep, he starts following her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, he does. And it is quite creepy. That's, that's that scene. <laughs> yes. Back in the SGC, Michello has awakened, and the team, SG three quarters, that is, comes in to see Michello, and I think Fraser's there. Yes, Fraser's obviously there. Mm -hmm. Duh. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Michello says to them, Jack, Sam, Tilk, finally. And Jack's like, how does he know us? And Michello says, as I've been trying to tell people, I am not Michello. I am Daniel Jackson. Jack rolls his eyes and is like, here we go. And Michello says that somehow the machine switched 
the two of them, Michello and Daniel. And Fraser says he knows a oops. lot about Daniel. Yes, very oops. <laughs> <laughs> Michello is ready for an AMA. Things that only Daniel would know. <sighs> Sam asks who Cassandra is. He correctly answers that she's a 12-year-old girl they found on P8X 987. Jack says, lucky guess. I like that first he looks at Sam and is like, P yeah. X. He needs to <laughs> confirm mark. that's right. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, yeah, 987. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hammond asks for the location where they found the gate. And Daniel says, in a dig in Giza. And then Jack asks him to describe the dress Daniel's sister wore last week when Jack took her out and Daniel's like I don't have a sister and if I did I wouldn't let you near her <laughs> so that seems this, this all seems pretty conclusive that this is not in fact yeah. Michello is Daniel no, it is Daniel shall we call him Manuel, uh, Manuel. because he's Daniel in Michello's body <laughs> are we gonna call it the other one Dicello? <laughs> I was going to call yes actually that is exactly what <laughs> okay, I was going good. to call the other one I will try to remember that <laughs> because this will get increasingly confusing yes. <laughs> Hammond says to Manuel assuming you are Daniel Jackson who did we just send home <gasps> who did they just send what? out of there security at the SGC is great yeah very great that's not their fault he looks like Daniel whatever he does look like Daniel he looks just like Daniel yes out on the street. DiCello is crossing the street with a crowd of people and telling anybody who will listen, Hello, friend! I am new to your world and unfamiliar with your ways. Will you teach me? And then he seems very concerned when nobody is stopping to talk to him that maybe nobody understands him. A guy comes up to DiCello and asks for change. And so DiCello asks him, Well, why is nobody talking to me? <laughs> and the guy's like, it's because you're being strange. <laughs> the cello asks, how am I being strange? And the guy says, well, you can't just walk up to people talking all weird and asking for stuff. And he, and he, uh, the cello is like, isn't that what you're doing? And the guy's like, yeah, but. <laughs> the cello declares that the guy is strange as well. And he introduces himself as Michello. Apparently the guy's name is Fred. And so DiCello says that they will feast and celebrate their friendship. Fred asks if it will be on you. And DiCello says, if that is the custom, on me. Abrupt transition. Yes. Huzzah. <laughs> Abrupt transition. Do you have things to say about the science in the next scene? Because I marked that as maybe Mary wants to talk about that. Is that the coma scene? Is this neuron cerebral cortex, blah, blah, blah. No, she's actually correct about oh, this. Oh, okay. Fraser is reporting to General Hammond that Manuel, <laughs> medically, Manuel is an elderly gentleman, but with the awareness and memory of Daniel Jackson. She doesn't know how this has happened, but she says, our personality, memory and conscious selves are derived from a unique network of neurons in the cerebral cortex and somehow Daniel's network was remapped onto this old man by that device. Actually a fairly accurate statement. Cool. Yeah. Jack's like, could this be a one-way deal? And clarifies he means maybe Daniel was mapped onto 
Michello, but maybe Daniel is actually still Daniel. The possibility that somebody's network, inner network, could be reworked that fast without killing them would be one thing I would take issue with, though. Ah. (laughs) Hammond says the doorman mentioned that Daniel never went home. So Jack's like, let's find him. And Hammond says they need to prepare for the possibility that Daniel isn't Daniel. And Fraser says that this whole problem is beyond her expertise and she'll need to consult with some neurospecialists. See, I really appreciated this and would like to point out here that this is kind of like real life where even doctors don't know absolutely everything that there is to know about medicine. And that is why there are such things as specialists. (laughs) for every field that exists is because people have spent their entire lives working and studying in one particular field of medicine or science. And they know way more about somebody who is more of a generalist like Dr. Frazier. And they certainly know a whole lot more about some than some random person who has decided they're going to learn more about a topic by just reading memes on social media. (laughs) So maybe, maybe, hear me out. Maybe if a specialist says to wear a mask and get a vaccine, but Facebook tells you, nah, maybe listen to the specialist instead of Facebook. That's all I'm going to say. Experts. <laughs> Please. I appreciated, though, that they didn't have her be like, yeah, I can handle this. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Although the last time she consulted was with that bug man. There's the juice. He, he, mm. wasn't, a, he wasn't a bug guy, I guess. That wasn't his profession. But right. that didn't. Well, it ended up well in the end, I suppose. Yeah. But he did invite Mayborn into there midst so but anyway we don't actually see any neurospecialists in this episode so we don't have Mm -mm. to worry about that true there's no room full of nerds (laughs) that's right that that i can be the king of in this one no no we'll have to save that for another day yeah jack suggests they go get the device from michello's planet and try to slam it in reverse And Hammond gives them the go-ahead for that and tells them to have care and treat it as hazardous. And they're off. I feel like they could have gone without saying, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) That they should treat it without, like it's hazardous. (laughs) Well, I thought it was funny because in the next scene, they're wearing gloves and they put things on the handles and it still switches them. Yes, as we were about to say, that is in fact what happens. Uh, SG-3 comes through in full hazmat, so they've even got like face coverings on and gas masks. And Sam says she's going to go back, go to the back to see if there are any journals that Michello might have left that she could understand. So as Jack and Teal'c are getting ready and they have their, their holders on the handlebars of the big wheel machine, they say they're going to count down to from three. And when they get to two, Sam yells... Colonel! (laughs) And startles Jack, and he was not too pleased, so he's like, yes, Captain. (laughs) Looking a bit put out. Apparently she's found a device that she thinks is kind of like a stasis chamber, somewhat like a sarcophagus, and that might have helped Michello to live so long. Teal'c thinks that maybe they should try to bring the thing back to the mountain to preserve Michello's body with Daniel in it. Sam says it, possi- it might be possible to figure out how to get it to work, but when Jack asks her how long that's going to take, she says she has no idea and 
she can't guarantee that she can get it to work anyway. So they decided to just go ahead and with the plan as it was originally laid out, Tilk and Jack go to pick up the device. We hear a buzz. They give each other a strange look. <laughs> Sam's like, what? <laughs> SG three quarters comes back through the gate with the device. Jack removes his helmet. Hammond asks, how did it go, Colonel? And Jack says, it, it did, did not, not go, go well, well General, General Hammond. <laughs> and he looked so stoic. He did. <laughs> Tilk takes off his uh, his gear and says, You think? <laughs> he does not look nearly as stoic as he normally does. No. <laughs> I liked Sam's awkward smile here, too. Yeah. Like a little eyebrow raise. <laughs> so, shall we call them Jilk and Tack now? But which and one's that's which? not like an offensive term in any language that we're not aware of. But who, so is the one in... The one in the body is the first the letter. First in, the first initial is for the person whose body it is. Okay. And then the rest of the word is for the personality. Okay. I will try. We will see what happens. Okay. Because I all of my notes are actually just using the initial for the person that the the, the body of the person and not the actual oh, character. Oh, and I use the person. and I put all of my initials as the actual character. Oh no. Okay. Okay. We'll see how it goes. Well, we'll try our best to keep this straight, everybody. Yes. <laughs> we'll clarify when need to. Yes. I suppose. <laughs> you think? <laughs> I lolled it. Yes. <laughs> Later on, either in the lab or the infirmary, I'm not really quite sure. Sure. Jilk yeah. complains about being uncomfortable. And Tack says, how do you think I feel? I've got a snake in my gut. <laughs> the actual Teal would know exactly how that feels. So that seemed like a strange question to me. But then he's like, you've got a nice, comfortable body. Normal body, he even emphasizes. Jilk says, well, it is normal to you, but having a symbiote is normal to me. So they agree that whatever, it's bad. Tilk's voice, I noticed, was not nearly as deep when he's just, like, using a normal speaking voice. So I thought that was kind of amusing that he's got, like, a full octave higher of uh, of range here than he does when he's his normal Tilk self. Yeah. Yeah. Sam comes in. Jilk asks if they have located Dicello. Sam says they're still looking, but good news! She did find the switching device on Michello's old school tablet, but unfortunately all the notes are in that weird dialect that she doesn't understand. And maybe it's a good thing that this happened, though, right, guys? Because now, uh, now I can experiment on you before we find the cello. <laughs> Tack and Jilk do not look very entertained by that. <laughs> They're not very thrilled with her suggestion that it is a good thing that happened. <laughs> Jilk is just staring off into the middle distance. And Tack turns to Sam and is like, just get on with it. <laughs> Sam's like, right. Uh, so no buttons or switches. It's probably triggered by grasping the handles. So we're going to just try grasping the handles in different ways. <laughs> So she has them just try gripping it just like before. Nope, that doesn't work. She says maybe there's an in and an out. So they try turning it around and grabbing it from different opposite sides and it buzzes and there's still no 
result there. Maybe it has to do with the order in which you grip the handles. It's not a question of where he grips it. <laughs> Jill looks perturbed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even though this is Tilk and Jack's body, even he is starting to have enough with this. Yes. <laughs> a little while later, Sam seems to have perhaps is thinking or has given up for the moment on different ways to handle the device. She's just sitting down. Tack says he's not feeling so hot. And Jilk asks what he's feeling. And Tack says that Junior's moving around a lot. Jilk says that he thinks his body has contracted an illness that the symbiote needs to repair. And don't worry, it's pretty common. The symbiote will take care of it. Tack's like, when? And Jilk Jilk tells him he needs to put his body in a state of Kelnarim and he likens that to a kind of hibernation or a meditation deeper than humans might meditate and he has to do this because otherwise the body of Tilk will have no immune system to fight this thing that's inconvenient yes in Tilk's chambers, Jilk is lighting candles, and Tack is looking in a mirror at himself and says, you don't look so good, but then corrects himself. I mean, I don't look so good. Jilk tells him that he's going to become increasingly ill if the symbiote doesn't get the proper chance to make the appropriate repairs, and it could possibly even lead to my death, or your death, if Tack is not able to achieve Kilnarim. So Tack's like, all right, what do I do? Jill tells him to have a seat. Meanwhile, out in the outside world, Ticello <laughs> and Fred enter a diner. They go up to a server and says, we wish to feast on me. <laughs> and then he says, raising his voice, in fact, let everyone here feast on me. <laughs> Everyone stops for just a moment to look at him. The server asks if he's celebrating something, and DiCello says, life. So she says, okay, how about a credit card? And DiCello wants to know where he could find such a thing, and she tells him his wallet. So he fishes a wallet out. Good thing he knew what a wallet was. Yes. And it had a nice Velcro rip as he opens it. Cause he has the wallet of, like, a 12-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of offers the whole wallet to her to let her pick a card. Any card. Any card. So she, she finds one that's satisfactory and grabs that. DiCello tells her she is the most enchanting woman he has ever seen in his lifetime and would be honored by a kiss. Gross. Yes. Also, I hated the way that he looked her up and down as he said that, because yeah. gross. Yeah. Fortunately, she handles him. She says, I bet you would, yeah. and then walks away. <laughs> yeah. She's got it covered. Yeah. This isn't her first time some creep has come onto her at her job, I'm sure. <laughs> Surely not. <laughs> Sadly. In Tilk's room, Jilk tells Tack that he's doing well, which was silly, because that is going to interrupt his concentration when you're trying to teach them to meditate. Like, guided meditation's one thing, but you don't just, like break the silence by saying you're doing great <laughs> good job buddy <laughs> anyway Tack says he's not feeling any better 
And Jill tells him that it's because he hasn't reached Kelnarine yet, so probably maybe stop telling him good job <laughs> and interrupting his concentration. Tack asks how he does it, and Jill basically walks him through like a guided meditation kind of thing, focusing on the harmony with the symbiote so that their subconscious minds will be as one, and that's how the symbiote will be able to get the information that it needs to repair whatever sickness is happening in the body of Tilk, now currently occupied by Jack. I was just wondering, like, I'm confused about how the symbiote works, <laughs> I guess. Yes. <laughs> but I, we don't weird. get any answers, so... <laughs> no, we don't. Yeah, like, I mean, like, it's their subconscious mind, so it should theoretically not be able to exert its will if it's only their subconscious minds connecting and not the conscious mind of the symbiote but haven't they already said on many occasions that like there is no neural connection or any kind yeah. of like brain or empathic connection between the symbiote and the host yeah. so so how does the symbiote actually then heal i guess is what i'm wondering yeah i don't know i've wondered that too like does it actually travel through the body to do stuff or does it just take control of the autonomic nervous system and tell the body to do repairs or or what yeah i don't know that we ever get an answer like that it's got a little hard cat and a toolkit and (laughs) a little lunchbox yes yeah yep this this is great (laughs) you need to make this happen (laughs) we'll see what we can do Down in the infirmary, Manuel and Sam are trying to translate the symbols. Manuel is frustrated, and Sam says he should be optimistic because they're making progress and know the language is some kind of a mix of Greek and Latin. (laughs) Manuel condescendingly says, well, that's obvious. (laughs) But even though the symbols are recognizable, he says it's an entirely different language, so he really doesn't understand it at all. It's not actually similar to Greek or Latin. And then he passes out. And becomes unresponsive and alarms go off and Dr. Frazier comes over and orders the CT scan to check for any kind of brain hemorrhaging that might be happening. She calls for oxygen and other equipment and then she tells Sam that, uh-oh, he is in a coma. Uh-oh. So, another si- yes. another tangent. A science tangent. A sangent. So they've talked before. Sangent, yes, exactly. <laughs> and, like, they've talked. Haven't we had this conversation before where they've declared somebody in a coma, like, surprisingly fast like somebody goes unconscious and they put said up they're in a coma yeah i can't remember though specifically yeah okay but we have had that conversation that's what i thought so was it cassandra i mean i do know no what's that it wasn't cassandra was it i don't remember we spent a lot of time in this infirmary there are a lot of people who come and go (laughs) so anyway i thought i would talk about comas a little bit I do talk to, about them with my A&P students. So the thing what I, that I talk about in class is that the reticular activating system, which is located throughout our brainstem, is what actually regulates our levels of consciousness. So if that gets damaged, that's what triggers a coma in somebody. But I didn't know exactly like what the steps were to diagnosing it. However, I had a feeling it was more complicated than just looking in their eyes and seeing whether or not they have that pupillary response. So... According to the Mayo Clinic, they are definitely going to be doing more than just that to t- definitively say that somebody's in a coma and not just unconscious. They're going to be checking for a pain response as well, which is actually usually done by rubbing your knuckles on somebody's sternum. They will check the pupillary response. They're also going to be checking for some other movements, 
and reflexes too. Although the typical reflexes though, that you would find like when you hit somebody's knee or, or foot with that, with the reflex hammer, that actually is controlled by the spinal cord. And I don't know whether or not that would still be happening when someone's in a coma, but I'm guessing probably since it's controlled by something below the injury site. That's me talking to myself. Hmm. Uh, they're going to look at the person's breathing patterns and check the skin for any signs of bruising due to trauma. They are going to check for reflexive eye movements, and they're going to try squirting either cold or warm water into the person's ear canals and observe eye reactions to that. For laboratory tests, they're going to get a complete blood count, and they're going to want to check on the person's electrolytes, glucose, thyroid, kidney, and liver functions, and their carbon monoxide the possibility for carbon monoxide poisoning. They're going to check for any drugs or over or alcohol overdose, and they're going to do CT scans, MRIs, and an EEG before they will then they can then say that the person is in a coma. So yes, this is something that would be much more lengthy than they are making it appear on the show. Not surprisingly, <laughs> that's the end of my team. Thank you. You're welcome. So he's in a coma. Maybe. Yes. Maybe. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. Maybe not, but yes. At the diner, Fred and DiCello have finished <laughs> their meal, and they are on to dessert. Two big hot fudge sundaes are placed in front of them. As they're finishing their giant sugar-filled ices. Yes. <laughs> it's a good day to be Fred yeah. and DiCello. Yeah, apparently. DiCello gets... Ice cream all over his face, and Fred's looking at him and goes, "I, I get the feeling you fought in the golf." <laughs> it was so gross because the ice cream was there like the whole scene cursing me out the entire time. I'm sorry, <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't know table manners. He's not from here. Apparently, ice cream on or food on people's faces is like clacky keyboards. Ah, for Tatello says he was not in the Gulf, but he was a soldier and fought many battles and was captured and tortured. And Fred's like, that explains a lot. <laughs> Tatello continues that he continued to fight after this and lost all he loved and cared for. But he couldn't surrender. He was doing it for you, he says to Fred. If it weren't for me, you would all be conquered by now. And Fred's like... <laughs> By who? Saddam? <laughs> kind of laughing. Quite, quite the dated reference. Yeah. It is a dated reference and also, yeah, the thought of one random guy being, you know, saving U.S. from yeah. Saddam is, yeah. All humans <laughs> from, or yeah, at least the Americans from Saddam. Tichello, though, is like, he is not a system lord I am familiar with. <laughs> He says, but several others would have wiped you out by now. And Fred's like, okay. Ticello, though, is done with fighting. He just wants Mm -hmm. to eat hamburgers and french fries and ice cream sundaes and wants to be with good people like Fred. And you know what? That's all I want. Yeah, (laughs) that sounds amazing. Right? Sounds like a great life. Yeah. 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 Fred, though, says all good things do come to an end. And is like, no, only evil things must come to an end. For good things, it is possible to go on forever. And Fred's like, cool. <laughs> Back in Teal'c's chamber, Tack is coming out of Kelnarim and says, whoa, sweet. Jilk is no longer there, but we hear snipping scissors coming from somewhere. So Tack comes 
into the bathroom where Jilk is standing and talking about how if he is to remain in that body, he must shave his head. Tack flips out and insists, nope, you're not shaving my head. <laughs> Jilk's like, well, presently it is my head. Tack says it's temporary. Jilk argues, well, what if it's not temporary? And Tack insists that, you know, just give him a chance to give them more time. I got to go see Hammond, but don't touch the head. <laughs> Tack goes to see Hammond and says he needs to be involved in fighting Daniel. Hammond, though, has information, and that is that Daniel's credit card was used at the local diner, so he knows they're close. Tack would like to go along, though, for this, and Hammond denies him and says be patient and Tack is like I can't because Daniel is dying and we need to get to DiCello before some Yahoo Civi officer shoots him blowing their chances Jack has a lot of respect for politicians law enforcement <laughs> all kinds of people Jack just is full of respect that's just so a much. commentary on Jack in general yeah. Um <laughs> yeah. Hammond says, you're not yourself right now, so no. And he says no, and he sticks to it. He did, and he got he stood up and got right in his face, yeah, too. Yeah. Do you think it's easier for him since he's not actually looking at Jack's face when he says this, but he is rather looking at Tilk's face? Does he somehow just, <laughs> maybe he just thinks, you know, Richard Dean Anderson has such beautiful, beautiful eyes. <laughs> Not that, you know, not that Christopher Judge doesn't, but maybe Hammond has a preference. <laughs> I think Hammond, Hammond favors Jack because Jack has hair and he and Teal'c are both bald. <laughs> That's a good call. Like, Him, yeah, Hammond with his crown of marble has yeah. has opinions on the, on the hair. Yeah, yeah. Mm, good call. He favors the hair. He's in, intimidated by the hair <laughs> or favors the yeah, hair. Both. Or both. <laughs> yeah. Good call. Back out on the street, DiCello and Fred are seeming like they're parting ways. They're talking about how they thoroughly enjoyed their good times with good company. And a woman walks past and DiCello suddenly asks Fred how to court a wife. And Fred says, well, you usually need lots of time and energy and those credit cards you have. Gross. Yeah. We see a cop slowly approaching from behind as they're having this conversation and the cop is looking pretty suspicious. Daniel, nope, DiCello says, good, let us begin now. <laughs> he wants to go court that lady. A voice from behind them tells them to hold it right there. DiCello and Fred part ways and separate, and as they turn, we see that there are, in fact, two cops behind them. DiCello says that he is not going to go back, and the cops tell him to hold it right there and put their hands behind their heads. They really only seem to, to me, it really seemed they were only aiming this at the cello, but yeah. Fred was next to him, so Fred also put his ha his hands up and yeah. was telling to cello to you know be cool. I know these guys better than you do. They started putting their hands to their guns, and the cello makes a run for it. The cops rush past Fred to go after him, and Fred shoots after them to not shoot him. Although they actually didn't take their guns out, they have yeah. nothing in their hands as they're chasing after him. So that's good at least. Yeah. They're not quite as trigger happy as Jack is. No. <laughs> yeah. Jack would have already shot at him. <laughs> yeah, Jack would have already shot him, for sure. Maybe that's why Jack is so concerned about a cop shooting him, because he knows that he would have shot him. 
police vehicle pulls up as DiCello is trying to cross the street and it blocks his way. A couple more cops jump out and they're surrounding him now so they're able to get him handcuffed. And DiCello sadly tells Fred that he was right. All good things do come to an end. Womp womp. Womp. Do you think they left the server a good tip? All of the servers, actually, they would have had to tip everybody in that restaurant. I would hope so, but I doubt it because he probably doesn't know the custom of tipping unless Fred told him. And then um, maybe yeah. maybe Fred told him. I hope. So, yeah. yeah. I also sort of hope, too, they tacked on their own meals to that so that they could also enjoy. Right. I would hope so, too. they were in the restaurant. Or- or I would hope maybe Fred didn't want to be rude, though. Like if somebody's paying for your meal, I don't typically tell them how much they should tip or look at how much they tip. True. So so I'm hoping I'm hoping that Fred took the initiative to tell. Yeah. DiCello might have also DiCello just asked. Tipping is a thing. Just ask the server, too. And be like, what should I put in? <laughs> what does this tip thing yeah. mean? <laughs> yeah. In the infirmary, <laughs> Sam is at Manuel's bed. Urging him to wake up because they've found DiCello. She holds his hand and says he can't die on her now. And then Manuel mumbles, it's nice to know you don't like me just for my looks. So he's awake. Yay. So not really a coma. (laughs) Not really a coma. (laughs) It's just one of those nap length comas that you hear so much about. (laughs) Right. He's not even like on oxygen or anything. No. So yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Fraser comes in and tells him it's good to have him back and that he has impeccable timing. Others are on their way to get the device. Uh, no, it's not other people. It's them. They wheel it in, actually. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> DiCello enters with Hammond. And Hammond tells him he needs to reverse what he's done to his people. DiCello is like, I cannot do what is impossible. And Hammond's like, you mean you won't cooperate? Or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and DiCello's like, no, I'm being honest. I can't do it. The and Then he says something about the device remembering and encrypting all transferences, blocking any reversal for reason. the reason they're asking, which I didn't really understand. And I think that goes to the fact that I have no idea why he created this device. I can't for the life of me understand what the purpose of this device is well i was wondering if he had made this device to help him live longer and so whenever he would get too old was he switching bodies with people i guess but that's just that's really horrible as we although that didn't seem to be the case later on when they're kind of debating it so yeah i don't know what other reason it would have other than that. so maybe it's like his final solution to his problem but i don't they don't really go into that he made it sound like it's been used like he's used it a few times before though so yeah but like i don't i don't understand anyway yeah here he made it sound like he's used it before and then later when they're talking it sounds like he hasn't yeah i don't know yeah it's weird. Yeah. So Hammond's like, reprogram it then. And DiCello says that you don't have the technology for that. And so even if I wanted to do that, which I don't, I couldn't. Everyone looks upset, except for Michello, who is asleep again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Down in a holding cell, Hammond and Sam come in and DiCello thanks them for coming. Sam tells him to enjoy the scenery because it's the only view he's ever going to have. Oh, she's so cranky at him there. 
<laughs> I love that. <laughs> Don't blame her. Yeah. It's funny. Ticello says he has asked them to come because he wants to try to negotiate some better accommodations, and he apologizes for the extra transference that happened with Jack and Teal'c. Hammond tells him to get to the point. Ticello said the code that you're trying to read is similar to your languages, but it is one that I actually invented myself. So uh, in case it, any of his work happened to fall into the hands of an enemy, and Hammond tries to tell him, oh, we're not enemies... And Ticello says, right, that's why I've decided I'm going to teach Sam my code and this knowledge so that you will not only be able to defend yourselves against the Gua'uld, but also defeat them. Sam, of course, wants to know what the catch is. And Ticello says, eh, the price is his freedom. And Hammond also says, and Dr. Jackson, since Daniel would die if they don't switch back. Ticello says, while well, he's not an issue, consider him a casualty of war. I'm offering to save your planet, so isn't that worth more than one single archaeologist? But Hammond apparently is not a believer in the good of the many outweighing the good of the one argument, and so instead he says that here life is priceless and they are not willing to pay that price. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Pretty sure, pretty sure on this planet, lots of lives have prices. Anyway. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a weird thing for someone in the military to say. <laughs> so Sam thinks that DiCello should get to know his casualty before he dies. So she brings him to Manuel and sits <laughs> him down. And Manuel tells DiCello. Manuel? Manual. Yes, manual. He's reading a manual. I've just, I've just changed it. I've just changed his now name. Now it's a new name altogether. Manual tells Ticello he's looking good. And Ticello's like, what do you want me to say? I'm sorry. I'm not. Don't want to undo it. Ticello says he has earned this. He sacrificed his life for you and your people, he tells Manual. The least you can do is compensate me with another. And Manuel's like, what right do you have to do this, basically? <laughs> I'd like my body back. I know, please. yeah. And Ticello says that he suffered more than anyone else. He fought the gold for 50 years. He was betrayed by his wife. They And that happened because... I thought betrayed by wife seemed a little weird. The ghoul took her and turned her into one of them, which yeah. I'm not sure that's, I mean, it's a betrayal, but it's not like her. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm guessing that maybe like they had her still posing as herself yeah. for a while. And then like she maybe had a hand in him being captured. I don't yeah. know. It's all terrible. But yeah, yeah, still not actually betrayal by his yeah. wife. It is betrayal by yeah someone in the form of his wife. At that point, I mean, that's basically killing her anyway. So yeah. Manuel says his wife was also taken as a host and she's still with them. And Ticello's like, well, at least you have a planet and friends. Two billion of Ticello's people died protecting him rather than surrender him to the gold. So he's a big deal. It's a weird upsmanship conversation yeah. that they're having here. Yeah. Manuel concedes he's made great sacrifices. He agrees with Ticello on that. And we owe you gratitude, but we don't owe you Daniel Jackson's body. 
<laughs> DiCello says, if you had the technology, you'd do the same. And Manuel says, no, actually, because that makes me no better than the gold if I were to do that. The gold, the gold, the gold. The gold. The gold. Gould. Yeah. All the many ways we can pronounce All it. Of that. The gold. <laughs> and Ticello is like I am not a gold I hate them and he's like really like real upset about that implication (sighs) yeah it uh seems like some weird overacting on Michael Shanks yeah (laughs) (laughs) the way he said it I am not a gold I hate the gold Manuel, though, points out that the Gould use hosts because they think they're better than humans and deserve it. So you are a Gould, Michello. Burn. I am nothing but a host to you. And Ticello's like, I'm not a Gould. And Manuel says, my wife is still alive. I could have a chance to find her. You're stealing that chance. And Ticello says he's never going to find her. <laughs> Such a pessimist. And then Daniel's like, I will. And then Daniel, uh, I went to Daniel. <laughs> Manuel yeah. is like, I will. And then he's in, what, V-Fib? And Dr. Fraser kits Ditello out. <laughs> Fraser says V-Fib, oh. but the monitor is actually showing a Sicily. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Which is not a shockable rhythm. You're welcome. Either way, she pushes Ditello out of the way. And she does some chest comp- compressions in slow-mo. <laughs> while slow-mo Sam looks at DiCello who looks at Manuel and then suddenly Manuel's got a heartbeat yeah she had called for paddles but it's a good thing that she was doing CPR anyway because those paddles would not have worked <laughs> <laughs> Fraser doesn't know how long he's got left DiCello then has a change of heart I guess that Yura Gould argument really hit him hard Apparently. He says, if I could trade again, I would, but I'm the only one who cannot trade bodies with you. And Sam's like, wait, what? You're the only one who can't? Ticello confirms, and Sam asks the guards in the room to fetch Jack and Tilk. Yes. So a bit later on, everybody involved gathers in the infirmary, and Sam tells them all that she has an idea. It is time to play musical chairs with their bodies. <laughs> I will do my best to keep track of who goes where in this scene. <laughs> so, first up, it is Jilk and Michello. The face that Christopher Judge made here I thought was especially great, though, because he looked so disgusted and put out, and it was totally a face that you can imagine Richard Dean Anderson <laughs> making as Jack, so I thought he did a great job portraying Jack in this particular yeah. scene. Well, really throughout, yeah. but especially in this scene. Sam says, you gotta trust me, Colonel. So... Michello and Jilk go up, grip the machines, and zap, and they switch bodies. So now we have Dilk and <laughs> Ticello. <laughs> Tilk is in Daniel's body. Michello is in Tilk's body. Oh. Ticello says that he's fine, and to please continue, Captain... Something something here about the way that Christopher Judge plays Michello, like the combination of the facial expressions and like the slight hit of a hint of a British accent that he doesn't normally have, reminded me a lot of Morris Moss. <laughs> <from> <laughs> IT crowd. 
Like, especially when he's, like, really quiet and serious, like, the episode where he's on Countdown or when he's talking about how he suffers from a hot ear. Fire! Fire! <laughs> I am a giddy goat. So Sam says, now you, gesturing to Jack's body and its occupant. Daniel, who's now occupied by Jack, looks put out and just raises his hands as Jack, occupied by Teal'c, Switches place with Michello, who was up until now occupied by Daniel. Okay. So, Jack, who is now occupied by Daniel, says, wow, what a dream. <gasps> what happened? Sam tells him that there's no time to explain, so he just needs to bear with her for a second. And Daniel, occupied by Jack, calls Danny boy and gestures with a finger for Jack, occupied by Daniel, to come a little bit closer, and he pulls him aside. <laughs> Next, Tilk, occupied by Michello, tells Sam that he wishes he could have taught her what the symbols mean, because those inventions could keep fighting the gold, and Sam's like, yeah, yeah, I'll figure it out. We gotta keep this thing moving. Tilk, occupied by Michello, then switches with Michello, who was occupied by Tilk, and Tilk is finally himself again. So we get his cute little Tilk smile, and he nods his thanks to Sam, and she tells him any time. They make a show of removing Michello's hands, full yeah. on Michello, in Michello's body, from the machine, as Jack and Daniel in each other's bodies come up next. They switch places. Jack, as Jack, says, yes, yes. And then he turns to Tilk and is like, shave, shave my, my head. <laughs> and Daniel, as Daniel, says, I'm back. Whew, that was hard. Yeah, good job. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Frazier says that Macello is conscious again. And the cello thanks Daniel for his holiday. He then goes into asystole again, but instead of trying any life-saving measures, they just turn off the monitors, let him die. Fraser closes his eyes, and everyone stands around looking serious, and Hammond welcomes back SG-1. And that's it. That is it. Whew, another long episode yeah. this one's going to be. Probably not too long, but pretty long. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Mary. Yeah. Yes. Did you enjoy this episode? Mm mostly okay <laughs> i did actually overall i liked it a lot i think chris judge and richard dean anderson both did a really good job of portraying each other uh and i found it pretty convincing to to think that jack was in teal's yeah. body and that Tilk was in jack's body i think christopher judge had a much harder job to do here because jack is such a more much more animated character so yeah. i feel like he was tasked with a greater challenge to emulate Richard Dean Anderson as Jack and it was probably a lot easier for Richard Dean Anderson to play Teal'c since he's such a subdued character but I thought that I thought they did a both good job a good job overall like I said I, I found both of them to be convincing in their roles Michael Shanks however I did not find to be all that convincing really? in his role I just and it, it kind of reminded me a little bit, too, of, like, in Need when he's playing, like, the, the sarcophagus-addicted version of himself where he's just, like, all hyped up and energetic. Yeah. And I didn't find that to be a very convincing portrayal there. And I really found Daniel portraying Michello to 
I was not convinced by that. It just felt to me like Michael Shanks was trying to show off how many different characters he can play by, you know, he played that addicted character before and now he's playing Michello here, but he's also playing the old guy here. But I thought he did a more convincing job playing in the old person body. So like Daniel as Michello, I thought he did a better job of that than being Michello in Daniel's young Daniel body, if that makes sense. Yeah. The first time I saw this, actually, I didn't know that was him until... Oh, really? Until he had to convince them of who he was. And I was like, holy... Oh. Oh. So, yeah, I thought that was really good. Yeah. I didn't think that Michael Shanks did all that great of a job with the two characters he played versus Christopher Judge and Richard Dean Anderson, who I thought both did a great job. Okay. What did you think of the episode? Well, I disagree with you. I think Michael Shanks did a great job as all the Michellos. I I really bought him as, like, this fish out of water dude wandering through so (laughs) anyway uh i thought the episode was very fun and very funny and i like to see all the episode or all the actors kind of take on these yeah roles that the other ones do and they they i feel like they pretty much nailed each other and obviously shanks yeah even when michael shanks did (laughs) jack this this was not a porno no sorry (laughs) they didn't nail them in that way (laughs) Even when Michael Shanks did Jack. Yeah. <laughs> That's not any better. You, you know what? You're the one who picked up on that. I wasn't going with that. <laughs> I know. That's, you know. That's like... uh, I think, I think that, yeah, I think Shanks nailed Jack too for the short <laughs> amount of time that Fine. he was, that Jack was in Daniel's body. I think he had those, those gestures down, like. That I did think he did well. Yeah. yeah, I thought he did. It, granted, it was only a few seconds, but I did think he did a good job with that scene yeah. where he was playing Jack. <laughs> it was fun to watch Christopher Judge's face do more than have an eyebrow raised once in a while. Yes. And, you know, Teal, I think, is an expressive character, but he's super subtle about it, where Jack yeah, isn't, he managed, so... Right. He manages to be expressive. It's, it's pretty impressive. He manages to be expressive without being able to emote and i don't really know exactly yeah. how he pulls that and it's off, really good and i actually yeah. thought it was really interesting too when he had his morris moss moment in there that <laughs> he was distinguished even from tilk even though in yeah. some ways michello is very much sort of stiff like tilk is stiff but he was uh chris judge was stiff in a different way than he would be right. with Teal'c. It was very it was very well done, I thought. Yeah, I agree too, because I I don't get Morris Moss vibes from him under normal circumstances. <laughs> no. It was just something about the facial expression and like that additional the the, the slightly different accent that it's like yeah. ah, Moss. <laughs> yeah. So I yeah, yeah. I found this super enjoyable because of the mm-hmm. acting and uh I did have one question towards the end or for the mm-hmm. end, which is one, in addition to what the fuck was that device for, <laughs> uh, are they going to go back to that planet? Are they going to start mucking around with Michello's other devices? Or are they like, oh man, we couldn't even touch that with gloves. We better not touch anything else in there yeah. ever again. I don't know. I would guess that maybe Sam will keep working at like trying to figure out the the old school Game Boy style yeah. iPad thing. <laughs> and maybe if she can figure out what things do and like break his code, then they can afford to take more risks with the technology that's over there. If they actually have a better idea of what it does and how to activate it. Perhaps. 
Yeah. I honestly don't remember if anything ever comes with that, though, so that's just speculation. <laughs> oh, I liked Fred, too. He was pretty much like, <laughs> Fred was great. hey, yeah. I'm going to go along with this kooky guy. <laughs> yeah. He's going to buy me some food. It's going to be amazing. This guy's weird. Yeah. I like yeah. that. Yeah. I like weird, too, so I understand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, one thing, I was, I was skimming through the uh, reviews for this episode on the <laughs> IMDb. And one of them was like, worst episode ever. And I was like, wow. Really? What? Wow. But then I read it, and the whole thing is that this person has a huge hate on for Dr. Fraser and what a terrible oh, doctor no. she is. So that oh. is the whole thing. It has nothing to do with the rest of the episode. So I felt better after wow. that. Like, oh. So if his complaint is about what a bad doctor she is, I would still think that this person would probably agree with me then that Broke a Divide is the worst episode. But Could be, but this they titled this a review, Worst Episode Ever. I did not Weird. go see if they reviewed other episodes of SG-1 on IMDb. Yeah. Or maybe they like maybe they dislike Frasier for other reasons than scientific inaccuracy. I actually like her character very much, despite my occasional complaints about the bad science. I don't blame that on... Well... Terry Farrell or, yeah. or Dr. Frazier. I think she, I like the, I very much like the character. Me too. Well, I, I copied the review. So let me give you a little <laughs> rundown here. They call her the worst fake doctor they've ever seen on TV. I hard disagree. She always says the person is healthy and good to go. And then they have some virus parasite or some alien in them. That is that is true, yeah. but like you can't really blame that on her if it's something they've never seen before. And they say that's no excuse for the most advanced military on the planet, and she doesn't <laughs> get any better over time and makes the same mistake over and over. This person, <laughs> they said she would be court-martialed and booted from the military a long time ago. <laughs> like they wow. really do not like Dr. Frazier. Yeah. They do. Co- she, they also complain about how at the end, and I think you you sort of noted on it, but not really. Mm-hmm. She did everything she could to keep Daniel alive, but once Michello yeah. was back in his own body, it's like boop, Meh. it's fine. Michello <laughs> over. Yeah, it's been a good run for this guy. Why bother? Yeah. So. <laughs> she also wrote. She also wrote. This is the reason Stargate fell apart. <laughs> I very much disagree with that. This doctor is like a robot doing her acting job. (laughs) So this person hates Dr. Frazier, and I feel like it just all came out in this episode. So I don't even know how they can call this the worst episode ever when it's really just a critique of a character in the episode. Uh, Right, yeah. And she's not even like a huge... Like, there are a lot of episodes where she plays a much bigger role. And a more important role than yeah. in this one. Yeah, so, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, she's kind of here, she's there in this one, like, kind of as support. But she's, yeah. like, part of the main story, like, like a, an integral part of the main storyline, even more so in a lot of other episodes. So they have strong feelings about that. I mean, I certainly agree that they are not great with security in general on that base. Yes, so. for sure. And we've talked <laughs> yeah. about that. And she, you know, in the medical side of it, certainly part of that. <laughs> wow. Yes. It's like, oh, I was not expecting to see this. <laughs> Sad and funny at the yeah. same time. Well, I hope you didn't keep watching, person, because it's not worth your rage to keep right. watching if you things. Hate something, just I hope you found something it. better yeah. to do. Right. Yeah. Rage watching isn't a productive way. No, to spend your time. I tried doing that with later seasons of Arrow, but I gave up. 
I liked the first few seasons and then I started to hate it. And then like partway through one of the seasons, I was like, I am really just yeah. watching this because I hate everyone and I need That's to fair. stop. <laughs> I only rage watch something when it's like almost done and I enjoyed it initially. Similarly for books, like I was rage reading this book that I had liked for well past the halfway point. And so I went ahead and finished the book, but like, because I was, I was kind of close yeah. to the end when I started to really hate it, but like, you're not even two seasons into this 10 season no. show. Like don't keep rage watching. I know. <laughs> I I hope you found peace friend. Yeah. Yeah. And that Janet Fraser no longer plagues your thoughts. <laughs> I hope so too. Yeah. 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 We're going to continue so though. Cause we're not hate watching. We things. are. Yeah. Because we love Stargate and we love Dr. Fraser. <laughs> So what's next? Next, we will be talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 2, Episode 18, Serpent's Song. From the Netflix, Apophis throws himself at the mercy of the team who grant him sanctuary. Apophis promises all the knowledge of the gold in return for a new body. Convenient. Yes. And from the booklet, SG-1's archenemy Apophis is dying and seeks sanctuary with O'Neill, but what he really wants is a new host in exchange for his knowledge of the gold. Will O'Neill grant his request or send him back to the gold to face his fate? Those are pretty similar, those two. Yeah, I've noticed that. Which one is the second one that you were The second one's from the booklet from the DVD set that we have. I've noticed that the booklet always talks about O'Neill rather than, like, talking about the team as a whole. Like... The episode I was just editing was like talking about can O'Neill save the I don't know can O'Neill save something, but it ended up being like the entire SG One team that was working to save that was working together to save something. It wasn't just O'Neill. So I've noticed that they like frequently will word it as can O'Neill do this? Can O'Neill do that? Or O'Neill notices this when it's really a thing that the whole team does. So it's I don't know weird yeah, to me. It's a little weird. Yeah, I. I feel like this is sort of so we're getting right on top of each other an episode where somebody offers a bunch of knowledge in exchange for a human body and then we get yeah. it again right after <laughs> another one. Yeah. Right. So obviously different ways, as we said, and different right. characters entirely. Right. Like first guy is opposed to the yeah. gold, the second guy is a gold. I'm gonna go for a wild guess and go they wouldn't give an ally with very powerful weapons a body they're probably not going to give their greatest enemy one just a guess likely not so much but maybe i'm wrong i don't think i'm wrong i'm pretty sure i'm not wrong but anyway i doubt you're wrong (laughs) yeah doubt it i know me too yeah anything else i think that's everything okay 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 you should whistle as always (laughs) for the whole thing. Thanks for listening. As always, thanks for listening. <laughs> Make sure you subscribe to us on your podcatcher of choice if you have not already done so so that you can get our episodes as soon as they're released every Monday. And you can also find us on YouTube as well. We very much appreciate 
good reviews and likes on all of those platforms and word of mouth because all of those things help other people to find the show so that we can continue to grow as much as we have grown in this past year. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at stargatesing at gmail.com. You can follow us or contact us on Twitter and Instagram. We're stargatesing at both of those places. And you can contact us via our website, patreon.com slash stargatesing, where you can also send a little money our way if you want to help us financially to be able to continue doing this show. And you can also find us at stargatesing.space, where you can send us a message or even leave us a voicemail. I'm Mary. I'm Kathy. And you've been listening to Stargatesing. The end. The end. The end. <laughs> <laughs>